This is the Southern Extension. Hello, my name is Chris M. Vines. Thank you for listening. These are credible sources, and I, I tend to believe them. It took me this many years to even talk about any of this, and then to some people I think it was like a game, it was like a mystery that they needed to solve, and that wasn't the point of any of this. Of course, I knew what he was doing. I, I knew he was, he was leaving, but I just didn't want to accept that. I loved growing up in Paulding County. I've said that a million times. Some people may think I have an in for Paulding County or something like that, but I don't. Oh, years, I interviewed my father, trying to understand what caused this sudden break. Episode 4, Chain of Events, Part 1. A note at the beginning. I'm not going to discuss Blackout Log and what happened with three boys in the woods. I've written about that, and I cannot do it again. I'm going to tell you the true story of how I got to Blackout Log, and it's complicated. I'm not going to be discussing the actual event. I'm going to tell you about the events that led up to that day. This story is split over two episodes due to its nature and just how complex it is. So many aspects had to align in just a certain way for Blackout Log to have ever happened. I can only be blamed for so much as to my own bad decisions. Others had to make them too. And the rest was up to fate. The 1983-1984 school year was devastating. I lost Oliver. I broke my left arm, and then I broke it again, resulting in surgery. My fifth grade teacher despised me because I had inconvenienced her by breaking my left arm, which meant that I couldn't write my school assignments as I was left-handed. I had a bully that school year, the first one I ever had. I took months of abuse from him before I beat the daylights out of him in the middle of the class. The principal pitied me so much that he didn't even punish me as I broke down in tears in his office. I was under a lot of pressure at 10 and 11 years old, not only at school, but at home too. I missed the maximum amount of days of school I could miss without failing. My grades dropped from years of straight A's to a few C's. I was in peril of getting booted out of the gifted program. Additionally, this was the first school year that I was on my own without Robin as my protector, shield from all things bad at home and on the bus. It was the first time I did not have someone or anyone looking out for me. Then I met Roe, and that led to Blackout Log. My life was like the trees you see along the shores on the northern end of Jekyll Island, Georgia, bent, scarred, and beaten by the tides, time, and the storms. I leaned to one side with only one working arm. My roots were exposed, and it was not if, 
but when I was going to fall into the ocean and be swallowed by the erosion occurring in my life. Two quotes from a book that happens to share this year as a title, and that is George Orwell's 1984. If you want to keep a secret, you must also hide it from yourself. I did that for 10 years. I never once visited or returned to Blackout Log until 1994, and I wrote about that in Uncivil X. The second quote is, Perhaps one did not want to be loved so much as to be understood. That is my motivation for all of this, just to be understood after all these decades. It was something I lacked growing up. The real story of how I met Roe is much more complicated than how it is written in Dweller on the Boundary. So it was a case of smoothing out the wrinkles to make for a more simple story. I was aware of who Roe was. I had been warned by another boy to stay away from Roe that he was trouble. And my own eyes had seen that, that, that I knew he was, he was not a good person. And he had been staring at me, and he had tried to touch me on the bus. So I was fully aware that there was a potential problem there, but I didn't take it too seriously. I took it seriously enough to stay away from him, but sometimes fate intervenes. I'm going to pause here for a moment to add a note. The boy that warned me, I long suspected that he knew what happened to me in the woods that day in 1984 at Blackout Log. Well, in 2019, I had a, a very, very long conversation with this person for the first time in almost 30 years. And then out of the blue, this person contacted me. We talked about a lot of things, but then he he brought up a memory, a very odd memory of me from 1984 without any kind of prompting from me. This, the odd part was it was a detail about me that really no other person would have likely remembered about me except for maybe Robin or Oliver. It was, it was very specific and crucial detail that related to that day. And remember, no one had, had read Dweller on the Boundary at that point. Not even preview copies had been sent out. The book didn't come out until late August of 2020, and this conversation took place in 2019. Well, that conversation made me write him into the story as a hallucination after I blacked out. And I, I referenced him on page 94 in the chapter Blackout Log in Dweller. Someone was on the other hill across the holler. There was movement, a shape, maybe a head behind that tree. Darkness crowded the corners of my vision in pulsations that matched my racing heartbeat. The dream receded. The monster spat me out and someone else was still here. An outline of someone my size and height watched me with their hands gripping a tree. A boy with jet black hair crouched like a crow, eating the last scraps of two-day-old roadkill. 
He was a scavenger, come to pick the last rotten pieces left on my bones. His face was as scrambled as the premium movie channels on cable that you had to pay extra to watch. He ran in a blurry streak along the ridge, his feet plonking down in the leaves, sending up crackling noises like bursts of static from a walkie-talkie. I wanted to call out to him, but he was going away to some place I could not reach. How I met Roe was because someone else made a really bad decision. One day in the fifth grade, we had a substitute teacher who was terribly unqualified for the position and had no reason to have ever been babysitting a classroom of fifth graders. She absolutely hated our class and When the last bell to go home for the day rang, she decided to punish the entire class and made us sit there when the bell to go home had already rung. And we'd been sitting there for a few minutes before the school principal noticed the closed door, walked in, and found much to his surprise, found much to his surprise, an entire classroom of children that should have already been on their buses. So he gets up, uh, he tells us, children, hurry, run, 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 go catch your bus. And he's just like in shock. And, and then I saw him walk over to the substitute teacher with an extreme look of anger on his face. Well, school buses... School bus drivers were unaware, of course, that there was a classroom being held. And they certainly weren't going to wait. And so we all go running outside. Some students managed to catch their bus. Many of us missed our buses. My bus driver, had was my bus was gone. And that sent me into a state of panic. I had... Covered a lot of miles in my walking as a young boy, but I had never walked from the school or anywhere in New Hope all the way back to my house. It it involved crossing a fairly busy road, and I was also in the fifth grade, so I was pretty young, and it's not someplace I would have ever walked before, and I didn't like typically walking along the road at that age. I preferred to walk in the woods. I was in a bit of a panic, and the principal is out there trying to get some of us on the buses, and for whatever reason, I have no idea why. Roe is standing there, out there next to the buses, and he's listening. He wasn't in my class, he was not in my grade, but he was there that day, leaning against a metal pole. Well, the principal managed to wrangle a bus driver who was going to go down my road, but was not my normal bus driver, to allow me on his bus.
Now, I knew this bus driver. I didn't like this bus driver. I knew who exactly who he was. He also worked at the same company that my father worked for, but he worked night shift and drove buses as a way to supplement his income. He had a bad reputation. And he intimidated me and he scared me. And I'm on this bus with a bunch of kids that I really don't know. And I'm instructed to tell the bus driver where I live and where to drop me off. Now I'm a very shy child. And this whole scenario has just freaked me out. I didn't realize it at the time, but Roe had gotten on the bus behind me. And I'm standing at the front of the bus, and Roe is standing next to me. And so we're going down the road, and Roe, who is not a shy person, tells the bus driver to let him off because his stop was was way before mine. And he's like, come on, come on, get off the bus with me, get off the bus with me. And I'm looking at the bus driver, and I'm looking at Roe, and the door is open. And I, and I hear all these kids talking, and the bus driver's getting impatient because I'm not saying anything. So I just, I get off the bus. I get off the bus with Roe. Bad decision. Now, at this time, Roe did not know where I lived. He knew I lived on the same bus route as he did. I knew where Roe lived. I was aware of where everyone lived. I paid attention where people got on and got off the bus. I, I, I was very observant. I watched people. And so I'm standing in the ditch, in the tall grass, and the bus pulls away, and I'm standing there with Roe. And I, had, I, I knew from that point I could probably walk home because we're, we're about slightly over a half mile away from my house. I knew I could manage that. I didn't want to do it. I was still in kind of a state of shock at the whole afternoon that it unfolded. In the last few minutes, so much had happened. And I knew not to go into Rose's house. And he didn't invite me. He's like, he said to me, I'm going to go put my books inside and I'll walk you home. Well, for me at that point, that sounded like a solution. And he actually sounded polite and nice. And for whatever reason, I decided to trust him. And so he did that. He went and took his books inside. He comes back. He's all smiles and happy and <sighs> eager to walk me home. So we start walking toward my house down the side of the road. He was in no rush. I was in a rush. But him being the older boy, I had a tendency to follow his lead. And so I walked slow. And we, we talked, and he was really interested in me. He was being sweet and nice, and that was unexpected coming from him. And for whatever reason, I put my trust in him. It was like 
falling for a con man or something, I suppose. And he's asking me things I'm interested in. Um, and we're talking. And eventually we, we made it to the end of my driveway uneventfully. And I stopped at the end of my driveway, making it clear that I wasn't going to invite him up my, up, up my hill to my house and thanked him for walking me home and was trying to get away because I didn't want it to go any further. But by the end, the conversation had become sexual in nature. This concludes part one of this episode. There's more to this story. Bad decisions and fate are not finished. The conclusion of Chain of Events is in the next episode. Next time on The Southern Extension. He said he would have to show me. And so with that information, he used it. Because, you know, he was curious and suspicious as to who would be knocking on the kitchen door so he answered the door and it would have happened that day probably and then again fate intervened the southern extension is recorded at rabbit tobacco field music provided by lexon music i'm chris m buys thank you for listening My books are available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other fine booksellers. For more information on the Southern Extension or my books, you may visit my website at chrismbuys.com.